welcome you to the Reformed Informants. This is a podcast devoted to biblical exposition, systematic theology, and practical application for the good of the church. I'm Lance Burroughs, along with TJ Darty, and we are the Reformed Informants. This is my favorite time, man. I'm not even kidding. Best part of the day. Yeah, this is... Man, I'm, I'm so blessed by the podcast and the... Uh, the study that we do to prep for episodes beforehand, uh, mainly you putting together all the episode guides. Not true. Um, and then going back and listening to them, we were just talking about mm-hmm. this before we hit record, that I, I'm learning as we're doing this, yeah. right? There's some things that we don't even plan and put in the episode guide that you will say that honestly is re- renewing my mind. And man, I, I'm super blessed by it. Yeah, I would say the exact same thing. I've been I've been so encouraged and um, I've benefited tremendously from this process to the point to where if we didn't have a single listener, this would still be edifying and encouraging to me. It would be worth our time to say, look, we are studying God's Word, we're articulating it, we're organizing it, we're having these conversations. But on top of all those things, we've also had so many faithful listeners who have said, um, thank you for what you guys are doing. Um, thank you for helping to explain these things. So, and, and many who have followed along with us from day one. Um, so that's really cool um, for those of you who have stuck with us, and who, can, or maybe those of you who are just joining us. Um, we're thankful for that. And you know, the text, the comments, the reviews, um, those things matter to us, and they give us um, just that extra encouragement to want to keep going and knowing that. It means something. It's worth it. Yeah. So yeah, it's been nice uh, here and there getting a text from somebody that said, "Man, I didn't know that you were doing this podcast. I'm going to go back and listen to the episodes." Or um, yeah, just the random comments that we've received on social media platforms, and even some of the hilarious ones we've received <laughs> on. Yeah, we've gotten on, on YouTube. Yeah, we've gotten <laughs> some some outsiders who have stumbled across uh, the podcast who. Not, I wouldn't say all of them have been fans, um, but you know that's that comes with the territory. We know that. So yeah, but the the heart of the Reformed Informants podcast, as as we've said week in and week out, is uh, to talk about Scripture, explain Scripture practically speaking uh, for the lay person, um, and in doing so, uh, we want to honor and glorify God the best that we possibly can. Yeah. Right. We don't have a hidden agenda. Um, we're not out to hunt people down that have done something wrong and immediately call them out. Uh, yeah. Anything of like that. Well, is, and what we're trying to do, yeah, what we're trying to do is just think through Scripture and think through it systematically, think through it in an organized manner, um, just walk through certain aspects of theology that maybe get overlooked in the church and just give us something to uh, chew on and to think about. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's... It's encouraging. We, we by no means are suggesting that we are the final authority on these things. We are just talking and discussing uh, for the layperson, for the average church listener, uh, maybe for somebody who doesn't have the seminary degree but wants to dig deeper and wants to learn theology. How do I think about these things? And that's all we're trying to do. We're just trying to bring up, that's why we do the question and the answer format. Like, let me ask a question that we need to think about the answer to and then talk about how do we answer that question yeah. uh, from Scripture. So. Um, okay, so where are we today in this particular episode? What do, uh, where have we been and where are we now? Well, we're, we've got two categories, systematic theology that we've linked up, anthropology and homardiology, uh, the doctrine of man and the doctrine of sin. 
So go back and listen to those episodes. I think if you combine both of those series, four of them have already been recorded and released, and we're recording the fifth one, which will be part two of Homardiology, the Doctrine yes. of Sin. Um, so you want to overview what we're going to talk about this episode, and then we're, then we're going to get rolling because we've we've got a lot. Yeah, this is a heavy, um, this is a heavy-handed um, episode here. This is uh, the doctrine of original sin. Um, this is a really, really important discussion, and I say that for a number of reasons. I, we probably say that about every episode, right? Like, this is important, this is important. It's God's Word, we know that, but original sin is a doctrine um, that is oftentimes not discussed in the church. I know I had never even heard that phraseology or that terminology until after I graduated with my MDiv. Now, perhaps I forgot or perhaps I overlooked some things I, I in my know, studies. Dude. You don't but, seem like you overlook stuff. Well, I, I'm willing to bet that you just weren't taught this for how many years did it take you to get your MDiv? Three? Three, okay, yeah, three yeah. years. Um, three months, probably. <laughs> Well, I know I wasn't audibly taught this from the classroom setting, um, and and I definitely didn't hear this in the church. And so I had a lot of questions but didn't know how to answer them, and I kind of wrestled with some of these things. But a lot of times these questions are tough questions, and so we don't want to answer them or we don't know the answer, so it just kind of gets brushed aside. Um, And so we're going to talk about that. What is original sin? Um, The fall of Adam. What is the doctrine of original sin is the discussion of, of the original sin, the first sin, how it happened, and the implications for it on humanity. Yep. So I, I like how you explain that. The original sin or the first sin. So if you've been with us at any time for the Reformed Informants podcast, we're going back to Genesis. Shocker <laughs> here. I, I, sometimes, like, we're, we're not even formally planning, I think, initially to go back there. It just happens to come up almost in every major doctrine or every major category yeah. that, we, that we've discussed so far. So I don't it's know not that we've if. ever even actually <laughs> formally planned it, ever. No. And every single time it seems to, like you said, it keeps coming up. It just shows the importance of Genesis, that foundational piece. Um, that's where we got to go. Yeah, it's a run, It's a, like a running joke, but it's not meant to be. Like <laughs> No, no. Yeah. You're, you're right. As I've gone back and listened, I'm like, oh, yeah, we went to Genesis again. Yep. Um, but uh, you can't avoid that. So, okay, okay. so let's walk through um, Genesis. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, a familiar text, but take me through the scene, um, kind of hit some of the highlights. Uh, you can read these. You can summarize it. How would you characterize um, the first 13 verses of Genesis chapter 3. Familiar story, but we need to hear it here. Yeah, if you're listening at home or watching on YouTube, it would be a great time just to hit pause or hit stop and, and just go read the first 13 verses quickly. Like you said, it's familiar, so it won't take you any time. But here in Genesis chapter 3, um, it's the first sin. It's the scene of the first sin. We have Adam and Eve who are in the garden, everything that God has created. He created good. He created man very good according to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Um, we see that the serpent is possessed by the devil or possessed by Satan, which, by the way, the book of Revelation even talks about the serpent of old Mm. being here. Okay, so it's key that we identify there are three characters in this story. Uh, Fourth, obviously, overarching would be God. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, we have Adam and Eve. Uh, We have the serpent that comes to them and uh, tempts them into sin. Now, he does this in a few specific ways. I'm going to pass it over to TJ here to kind of pick up with the narrative. Um, But Satan is crafty. 
Um, he has orchestrated a plan, and it's always this plan of altering or distorting God's Word. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly where he goes. He says, did God actually say? That's verse 1 of chapter 3. That's how, that's how he enters into the scene. Um, as you mentioned, he's crafty, he's um, cunning, and he comes in, he questions God's word, um, which is, you're going to hear us say that a lot when we deviate and veer off from um, the authority, sufficiency, and errancy uh, of Scripture. That's why we started with Bibliology, because God's word is the central uh, point for foundational truth. And so um, the serpent comes in and questions God's word, and he comes to Eve um, first, and he, he, he says, did God actually say this, that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And she tells him exactly what God said. Um, he says, she says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And then she adds, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent says that you will not surely die. And so he convinces her to see uh, that it was a delight to the eyes and it was uh, uh, beautiful to behold. And he tempts her. And so she takes it and she eats. And then she takes the fruit and she takes it to her husband, uh, who Paul tells us is not deceived. Uh, Eve is deceived. Adam is not. So Adam seemingly knowingly um, takes the fruit and he eats. And in that moment, they do not die physically, as we've discussed before, but there is spiritual death that comes to them. And what happens upon eating the fruit? Yeah, it tells us here in verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They put together fig leaves, and they made themselves clothing, right? They, like you said, didn't physically die, but now they are spiritually dead. Yeah, what happens with that spiritual death is they know there's there's a guilt that is attached to that. They know, hey, their eyes have been opened, and they know something's not right. They know they're naked, and so they cover themselves. And then when God comes into the scene, what do Adam and Eve do? Yeah, Adam and Eve, they depart. They run away. They hide themselves from God. They, in chapter 1 and 2, were in a right relationship with God. They were in perfect communion with God. Uh, God was walking and talking with them in the cool of the day. They sin. They rebel against God here in Genesis chapter 3. And immediately, they go the other way. They run the other direction. They run away from God. Um, I think their conscience triggering here, igniting, going off, because they knew that they just sinned against his word. That's right. And I think, uh, and of course, we know the rest of the story, the conversation they had. Um, Eve shifts the blame to the serpent. Adam shifts the blame to Eve. Both of them are ultimately pointing to God, saying, it's, you know, if, if this all hadn't happened, if you hadn't done this and that, whatever else. Um, and we, we know how that goes. But what you just mentioned, I think, is the... Uh, most important takeaway when we consider this story, um, that there is a knowledge and an understanding of separation, right? Like they are not, God does not separate himself from them. They know we cannot be in his presence. There's, there's a fear, there's a drudgery, there's a, there's guilt. That's, that's, uh, an important component of this to say that they know that they are guilty, not just that they have sinned, but now that they face punishment, that there's something um, looming over them, and that that something is guilt, and that's what's upon them. And so now we've got that 
familiar text, that familiar, okay, now here comes everything after it um, in Scripture that comes as a result. So now we have to ask a lot of questions, not only about how this could happen, but now what happens because of this. So how do we navigate through maybe a conversation relating to this original sin? Yeah, so in this episode, we're not really doing an exposition of Genesis chapter 3, but we're wanting to look at the implications, right? What's the domino effect Mm -hmm. of Adam and Eve and their transgression and their running away from God, right? How, How does that not only affect them, but how does that affect the rest of humanity, uh, that's where we're going here with right. original sin. So right. we're going to identify uh, kind of the implications and the ramifications, consequences of the first sin, like you said, to start the episode. And then we're going to see how that plays out generation after generation after generation, right. uh, you know, until uh, until the eternal state, right. obviously. Right. Uh, first question I want to ask, though, we talk about this. This is a question that everybody asks, uh, but we have to ask it here. How... Well, before before I ask the how could sin even <laughs> enter in, before I get yeah. there, let's recap how did this actually happen? We talked about the fall of man. What actually happened to kind of summarize um, the, the chain of events that leads to this fall? Because this chain is going to be important for understanding. Um, you know, we've had the discussion on the divine decrees. We've talked about our understanding of who God is. Um, but God is in this story. So... Walk me through some of the steps that led to this ultimate fall. Are you talking about starting in heaven with Satan and his fall? No, before or? we get to Satan, I'm just talking about observation. So the first thing I'm, I'm mentioning, you you piggyback off me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The first thing I'm, I would mention is that God provides the occasion, right? So there, God places them in the garden. Um, he sits them... Um, in, in this perfect creation, but he gives them a command to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So if God had not placed the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there, sin would never have existed, right? Because there right. would have been no forbidding. There would have been no opportunity for sin. So that's, I see that to say God provided the opportunity for there to be sin. Um, not only did he provide that opportunity, but what else does he give them? Yeah, he gives man uh, the capacity yes. and the intelligence and the freedom uh, to choose whether or not they would be obedient or disobedient. There's all this talk about free will. There's all this talk about fatalism um, and, and other terms of the like. But but here we have man being rational. They're, they're intelligent. They, they have the capacity uh, to make a decision. Uh, and God has given them the freedom to be able to do that. that, that that's that's clear um, from from Genesis chapter two and three, right? There's exactly. no forcing this upon Adam and Eve a, a, at all, right? Well, we see them acting willingly because they willingly run after they willingly chose to disobey God. That's right. That's right. So you've got God who has created the occasion. I think that's important for us to see. We need to understand that God gives. He did not have to give them the rational 
uh, capacity to choose good or evil. He did not have to give them a free will. He could have automatically um, prevented this sin. He could have prevented the occasion for sin. But God placed those there for his own reasons, as we're going to try to unpack a little bit. Um, and then, of course, we've also already discussed this, that the serpent tempts Eve, questions the authority, undermines the word of God. And so that is the occasion for which sin comes into the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I'm going to ask the tougher question. <laughs> How... How could this even happen? So we've got a perfect creation. Um, we've got um, we've got a perfect God, a sinless, holy God who has created a sinless world. Everything is very good, and now we have sin that somehow comes in. How do we wrestle through this? How is it possible for sin to enter into a perfectly sinless creation from God? Well, we need to go ahead and throw it out there. There's no chapter or verse that explicitly, (laughs) what? (laughs) No, I'm just, I wish there was. Yeah, there just, there isn't a chapter verse that explicitly describes or lays out, you know, that quote unquote process or exactly how that happens. So we just have to come to terms with scripture remaining silent on that. Now, God could have given us those details. He, he very well could have. That's right. But he determined in his infinite wisdom to not give us those particular details. So if you're looking for chapter verse, it's not there. Mm-hmm. However, we can still build a theology, still build a doctrine that, again, doesn't give us the explicit answer, but to some degree gives us an answer, I think. Yeah, I, I think when you're talking that way, um, it reminds me of Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, right? Secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. So I, I don't mean to just throw that verse out there haphazardly anytime we get to a question that we, eh, I just don't know, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. It's not a, we're not punting, we're, yes. we're, we're, right? Like we're saying, yeah, yeah. we're saying yeah. there are certain questions that Scripture doesn't answer, and we can't answer, but there, th- what Scripture has said we are responsible yeah. for. I like what you said there, TJ. Like, hey, this isn't this isn't a cop-out. Right. Right? This isn't, oh, man, look at the Reformed Reformers. Look at these guys. They, they can't answer these questions. Like, you know, I'm going to unfollow them. Now they're going to have three followers. <laughs> look, we, we understand that we, we don't have the answer to that, and the cop-out isn't to go to Deuteronomy 29.29, but we need to go to Deuteronomy 29, 29, because that verse clearly says the secret things of the Lord are the secret things of the Lord. There are some things he just hasn't revealed, and we have to be okay with that. Right. That's and part of building theology and doctrine. That's exactly right. Rest in that truth uh, that uh, that God is He's still in control and he's still sovereign. That's right. And I would say this. If somebody claims to be able to answer this question of how exactly sin can, how does sin originate? If somebody gives you an explicit, affirmative, this is how it happened, they are speaking extra biblically. They're speaking outside of Scripture because the Bible simply does not tell us. Now, yeah, I think are, that's worth worth repeating. Do you want uh, to repeat yeah, that yeah. again? <laughs> if somebody makes the claim that they know um, unequivocally, exa- like we can definitively demonstrate how um, sin entered into a perfect world, then they are speaking extra biblically, right. which means they're speaking outside the realm of what Scripture has said. Yeah, you know, now there are passages that mention, uh, the, and we're going to talk about this. You know, the references to Satan's fall and talking about how pride. But the question becomes, how does pride come into play? Well, we just don't know. How can a perfect 
holy, uh, sinless creation somehow manifests sin? We don't know. Um, nobody yeah. knows, and the Bible doesn't tell us. Right. So, but but we can still develop and formulate a response yes. to this. So let, let's work through a couple yes, points what here real the, quick. What would be the first thing you would say in answering that question? I would say that we look at the character of God. One, He is set apart. He is set apart from sin. He is holy. He is righteous. Um, he hates sin. He can do no sin. What, what would you add to that? So you're saying he's not the author. His character does not allow him to author this. So he can't be. So you're saying God did not make sin happen. He can't. He okay. cannot. There are some things God Good. cannot do, and this is one of those aspects of his character. Or something that he cannot do. Right. This that's, is something he can't do this. That's right. It would be contrary. If he could do this, he would not be God. Because this is part of what makes him God is that there is no iniquity found in him. Uh, Job 34, 10, far be it from God that he should do wickedness and the Almighty that he should do wrong. Uh, James 1, 13, mm. we've mentioned that God tempts no one with evil. Um, he is not responsible for this. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity and upright is he. I mean, that's who God is. He is completely sinless. So we can definitively, biblically, theologically, unequivocally state God is not the author of sin. Right. You feel comfortable planting that flag? Yeah, I do. Okay. He did not actively create sin. Okay. He, he, he did not He did not do it. He, the scripture, is, he is not the author. Right. He's not, it did not originate in God. God did not send sin into this world. Correct? That is okay. absolutely Good. correct. Good. We we agree. So where did it originate? What what where did it come from? This is what you started to ask me earlier. Um, oh, the the angelic yes, perspective. Yes. Yeah. Well, we've got passages like Ezekiel twenty eight, Isaiah chapter I think fourteen that talk about right. this angelic being, uh, Satan. Um, we're, we're told in those passages. Uh, that iniquity was found in him. Um, How is it found in him? We don't know. We, we, we don't know. The, the passages just don't go there. So right. I, I think I think that's what we've done so well on this podcast is we just don't go beyond Scripture. Like, I, I want that answer, but I'm not willing to go beyond what the Scripture says to provide myself with an answer. That's right. So our, our listeners... You can't do that either. Don't do that, mm-hmm. right? Stay, stay here with us on this plane, on this level. Don't mm-hmm. go beyond the scriptures. Um, yeah. So we, yeah. Again, Ezekiel twenty-eight, Isaiah chapter fourteen, uh, even John chapter eight, verse forty-four. Uh, th- this is Jesus's own words: "You are of your father, the devil, and it is your will to do the father's desires, or and your will is to do your father's uh, desires." He, he talks about um, the devil here. Um, being a murderer from the beginning. Yeah. All of this is yeah. being lumped back in again to the timeline that we find in, in, yeah. in Genesis. First John chapter 3, um, John says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Yeah. Um, the, the point being, in, in mentioning, as you mentioned, uh, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, John 8, First John 3, like the point being that, that sin originated somehow, we don't know the means by which this occurred, but somehow the origination of sin is in the angelic world. Um, we know him now as Satan, the adversary, 
um, the devil, um, uh, and that sin was likely, I can say this with, with quite a bit of confidence, it was likely the sin of pride in which he was aspiring to be like God in power and authority. Um, that's, that's, by the way, that's how he tempts Eve, right? Like, you shall be like God himself. Um, that's what, that's his, that's the iniquity that's found in him. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, when Paul is outlining the um, the qualifications for overseers in the church, he says he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Um, right. But that was Satan's downfall was his conceit, his pride. He was the greatest of these angelic beings and he was puffed up. And so that iniquity somehow is found in him and that's how sin um, manifests yeah, and is then, in the angelic world. Yeah, and then it's displaced right there in Genesis chapter 3 with the temptation of Adam and Eve. First John chapter 2 says uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, right? Mm. Uh, identifying mm. the sinful nature, longing after that. That's exactly what Adam and Eve fell to. They, they, the lust of the eyes. They saw the the, the tree. They That's saw right. that it was good, right? Yeah. And then the rest is history. Yeah. yeah. Obviously. So, do you feel pretty comfortable with what we've stated that sin um, originates in the angelic world um, yeah, through let, Satan? Yeah. Let me Ezekiel twenty eight. Yeah. Ezekiel twenty eight verse fifteen. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Talking about him being created as an angelic being. You were perfect in your way. That's the only way God can create, right? Mm -hmm. And then it says in verse 15, again, Ezekiel 28, till iniquity was found in you. Okay, so there's no explanation right. in, in, you know, in between part A and part B of that verse. And it, even the, the, the tense there, pa uh, passive... Uh, the passive voice to, to, that says iniquity was found in you. It's almost like like iniquity is the subject. It's not like you manifested yeah. uh, sin or I saw this iniquity was found. It was it just was. And so we don't know how it got right. there. <laughs> we don't know that. But we don't know. But that's okay. Yeah. So we're comfortable saying we don't know how, but we do know it, uh, it manifested there um, in Satan, and Satan brought that into the world with the tempting of Adam and Eve in the garden, Genesis 3, um, and that God is not the author of sin. We feel comfortable summarizing yeah, what we've said that absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Now, I think we need to start talking about, like, that's how that's how the sin happened. Now, let's. I, I, I want to talk about something else. Why did it happen? Um, this is going to be a little less familiar to the ears, probably. Um, I know that when I've taught this particular aspect of theology that I've had some pushback because it doesn't sound right at first, but I think it's really important that we have this discussion. So why did Adam fall? Why did this happen? Well, uh, <laughs> I want to back up to what you said okay. right right there uh, before you, you asked that question. Okay. And maybe getting pushback because you've talked about mm -hmm. this doctrine. Every episode on this podcast, we have approached it the exact same way from the exact same hermeneutic. We're not doing anything different here. We're approaching the text the same. Okay, so we're not trying to bring in presuppositions. We're not trying to bring in outside influence. Influence. We're taking the text at face value. We're taking these questions at face value and seeing what Scripture says about the issue here. Yeah. Okay, so... That's good. 
why did Adam fall? Well, we can t- let's talk about that from a few different rays here. Um, is it because God just stepped back and lost control? Hmm. That's a hard or, no for me. Or, or <laughs> yeah, that's a <laughs> that's a hard no for me as well. Is it because God didn't foresee this happening? No, no, that's no. no. Okay, I didn't know if that was rhetorical no. or not. No, I mean it was. I, I was I'm trying buzz to buzz in. I was trying to use the eerie <laughs> silence there to really bring in the listeners. No, there, there's all these options that are thrown out there when people come to this doctrine that somehow maybe God didn't know that this would happen. Somehow God lost control. Somehow God isn't in control. It's not that at all. Mm-hmm. What would be the best way to explain what it actually is, though? Uh, this would we've discussed this on our episode on the divine decrees. This is the will of God. This is the reason why I mentioned those things earlier about God placing the tree there, God providing opportunity, God providing because God, in some sense, decreed and willed that this would occur. Um, I, I I say this often in my teaching on this subject when I teach on a theology of missions in my current role. Um, in ministry, I say this frequently that God is. It, I, I I have to correct my thinking because when I read Genesis one and two, everything just seems so great, mm. and then I get to Genesis three, and it's almost like I picture like God is like a mother in the kitchen, and you know you got like the candles burning and everything's great, and the kids are sitting, uh, you know they're playing and everything's great, and then Mom turns to like put something in the <laughs> oven, and a kid just kicks over the lamp, and their you know noses are bleeding. It's like oh my gosh, I turned my head yeah. for two seconds. What happened? That's not what happens here. God does not lose control. He doesn't take his eyes off the kids, and they mess up. And they, this was God's will. And where can we go biblically to point to those things? We've already said these, we've mentioned these verses many times, but they're really foundational for understanding um, God's will and God's intention and design for sin to somehow enter in. Yeah, he allows and decrees sin to enter into the world, and this brings about salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, That's right. which was also predetermined by the, right. the hand of the Father. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23 is a text that we've covered, like you said. Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28, both of those texts emphasize the predetermined plan of God to use the sinfulness of men to get Jesus on the cross. Well, that's the rest of the gospel message. That's right. Right? Have, do you want to read those texts? Um, well, let me read the highlights of them. Yeah. Verse 20, Acts 2.23, um, this man, talking about Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of the godless men and put him to death. Mm. This was God's predetermined mm. plan. Um, or Acts chapter 4, um, in the same way, um, truly in this city there were gathered against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. All of these characters in play were put there, verse 28, Peter says, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. This was God's purpose. Um, we've mentioned before in Revelation the lamb slain from the mm. foundation of the world. Um the point being this, the cross, and I, I say this, I mean, ad nauseum, the cross was not a backup plan, right? Like it was not, if Adam and Eve hadn't messed up, the cross never would have happened. That, that's just simply not biblically true. Right. This was predetermined. Jesus was coming to 
the cross because God determined that despite not being the author of sin, sin would come in right. and there would need to be sin, uh, sinners that needed to be redeemed. Yeah, this isn't this isn't plan B. Right. This this is this has always been plan A from Genesis 1-1 in beginning God created, but even before Genesis 1-1 and the eternal counsel of God, this has always been the divine plan of the one true God. That's right. Right? That's right. Um, now, this is really important. The more I thought about this, this week in particular, if this wasn't the case, how could we, how could we rest knowing that this wouldn't happen again? If sin accidentally came into the world or into creation, how can we be assured of a sinless eternity? I have no, I have no. You know idea. what I'm saying, right? Because if God didn't want sin to come in the first time, how is He going to keep it out the second time? Well, it slipped through the cracks. That's it went, right. It went through His hands. That's right. Right. And, and it could happen again. Sure. And so to know that, look, there's coming a day that Revelation speaks of, where there will be no more pain, there will be no more crying, there will be no more tears, there will be no more sin, there will be no more death. The way we know that is we know that all of those things were ordained to take place previously. Right. That God did desire that for the ultimate glory of his name, um, that he might be glorified and his uh, wrath might be put on display, his love might be put on display, his mercy might be put on display. All of those things come to their climax at the cross, and that's the beauty of why sin was allowed to enter into this world. Right. Anything else you would add to that? I mean, I'm, I'm about to start preaching, yeah, so you better yeah. take over. I'm going to have to get the raise up pod. I'm, do they have that on Amazon? I, I need to get something that will just like lift up. <laughs> we need to. Yeah. We need to. I'll just um, stand right up and go. No, I, I like what you said there. Uh, I, I think a couple comments uh, that we could make here is this is when the listener may check out because Acts 2 and Acts 4 talk about God predetermining things. God having an eternal plan, God having foreknowledge, uh, God predestining. The, the easy thing to do here is to hit stop, to not keep listening, or to close your Bible and not keep going. You, you, you have to wrestle with these passages. Do these passages talk about Jesus being a man? Well, well, how, how does that link into our conversation? Well, it does. We're going to get to that in the That's episode. Right. These passages talk about God predetermining and having a plan. And these passages also talk about God using sinful men to get this done. So instead of brushing these things to the side and saying, I, I, don't, I don't know, man, I, I, I don't. No, let, let's wrestle with them. Right. Let, let's get after these passages um, and, and see what they actually teach. And even if you're going to push back, um, the questions are still there. Sure. Right? Like, like how did how do we guarantee a sinless eternity in the future? You have to a- answer that question if you're going to push back on what we've just said. If you're going to push back um, on, the, on God actually ordaining and decreeing that this would happen, you've got other problems that arise. So, so be able to be honest with yourself to say, look, I, I'm not sure that I can get where you guys are, even though I feel like we're just pulling out from the text, but I understand I was there too. I, I was in the position of the skeptic who said, ah, I'm just not sure. That doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound like the God I uh, learned about in Sunday school uh, growing up. Well, there are, there are questions you have to ask, and you have to be honest with yourself in asking those questions. Um, and those are really important questions to ask. I, I like that thing that you said, uh, that we have to wrestle with what the text says, and yeah. we have to be willing to say, 
take I'm going where the text takes me, even if it seems contrary to what I have always understood or thought about God. Right. Yeah. Go go to battle with it. Yeah. You know, even even if it isn't Acts two and Acts four, maybe it's another passage on a completely different subject. Just go to battle with that text. That's a good. Yeah. That's Just a good, that's a good word. Open up the word and get after it. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Anyways, that that was no, that, that was, was that was free. free. Yeah. That was free. That's good. Yeah, you guys. That's good. You guys are welcome. That's for all. Yeah, for all the faithful <laughs> listeners who are still here. Um, that's really okay. Good. So where do we need to go yeah. next? We got other questions that we need to ask that are connected to this um, as we're trying to wrap up and talk about the implications of how that affects us. Okay. So, Adam's sin, does it directly affect me? Does does it affect me? Because we're, we're talking about something you know, a few thousand years ago. How does this relate to me? That's really good. Um, Burkoff say. What's this guy Burkoff? Burkoff. <laughs> our guy Burkoff. Well, <laughs> here's a key term. Maybe this is a new term for some of our listeners. Um, this term is called uh, federal headship. Um, the, the, the idea of federal headship is that Adam serves as the federal head of the human race. So he represents us. Here's what, here's what Burkoff says. Adam sinned not only as the father of the human race, but also as the representative head of all his descendants. So, in other words, when what Adam did in the garden represented not Adam himself, but all of humanity. So, in the same way that our president might uh, be sent to um, have conversation and delegation with other um, with other countries and foreign entities, he represents us. Um, he represents the United States of America in those conversations. The same way Adam represents all of us, all of humanity. And therefore, Burkhoff says, the guilt of his sin is placed to their account, meaning his, all his uh, descendants, so that they are all liable to the punishment of death. It is primarily in this sense that Adam's sin is the sin of all. So, Adam, this is this is this was new to me when I came across this very recently, very recently meaning four or five years ago. Um, but having been in the church for twenty years and not having heard this, um, that Adam sinned as the federal representative. He sinned in my place, um, and he served as the representative of humanity. And so um, there are effects that come with that sin, um, that sin in the garden. What would, what would you add to that? Where would you take us from there? Not a lot to add because that was that, that was well said. All I did was read Burkhoff, so don't pretend like that was me. <laughs> um, where, where's Burkhoff getting this from? Is We, we know he's, he's brilliant. And by the way, he's not the only systematician no. that would land on this. That's right. right. This is just one of the quotes that— He's just the guy that, I, you know, his, his book is sitting on top on my desk, so yeah, I pulled it, his up. But. It's one that you pulled that was, that was well said, and I, I think very clear— but the main passage that Burkhoff is drawing from and that he's, he's building this doctrine is from Romans chapter 5. That's right. So we're not getting this from Burkhoff. We're not getting this from John Frame. We're not getting this from MacArthur. We're yeah, getting this from good. Paul. Yeah, it's not because you know R.L. Dabney wrote this in the 19th century and we said, yeah. oh, yeah, that, I like that. No, you're right. Romans chapter 5. That's good. Yeah, so... Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, maybe one of the weightiest portions of Scripture in, in the New Testament because of its connection 
to Genesis chapter 3 and its connection to all of humanity in terms of the sinfulness of humanity, but also uh, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, right? So you have right. these, uh, I mean, you have these two charts, these two columns, yeah. and this comparison going on uh, at, at the end of chapter 5. Yeah. No, keep walk us through the text. Um, is there anything that you would want to draw out there? Like I know verses 12, 18, 19, those are some important verses. What What stands out to you in pulling from some of the effects of that sin? Yeah, I would say this would be another place if you're listening to hit stop and go read I agree. 12 through 21 of Romans chapter 5, just so you can kind of get a running start with us here. But if you look at verse 12, Therefore... Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Okay. Whoa. What? Hang on a second. Hang on. Stop. Pause. Uh, all sinned. That word there at the end. So sin came into the world through one man, death through sin. We've Who, talked about that, yeah, right? Yeah, the one man being... Adam. Yeah, which is key. And before we keep going on... Go ahead. And you can finish your thought there that sin came into the world through one man. No, notice again who, who's getting the blame here. That's right. And notice where Scripture is placing this. Okay? That's right. So when we talk about original sin, yeah, Eve plays into the mix here. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about federal headship, That's right. it's placed solely on Adam. Yeah, and that theme will come back in many future episodes, I'm sure, that we'll discuss. Yeah. Um, but... The verse goes on to say, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So notice the train of thought. Sin comes into the world through one man, Adam, and death comes into the world because of that sin. And so death goes to all men. That's what Paul says. So so Adam sinned, death comes into the world, now everybody dies. Why? Because all sinned. Hold on a second, Paul. I wasn't there. I didn't do that. That's what that's what we're going to say. And the point is, Adam represented us. Mm. Roll down to verse 18. Mm-hmm. Um, Therefore, just as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So that trespass that, that, uh, that Adam commits leads to condemnation. We're all, we all stand condemned. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Mm. So because Adam sinned, we now find ourselves in a state of sinfulness, of facing death. So regardless of whether or not you would affirm what we just said about federal headship, you have to answer the question somehow. And the answer that we would see here is that Adam represents us, and we're going to talk about the the connection to Christ here in just a minute. Mm. Um you, you, you had told God, me you, you told me that some early church fathers spoke on this subject. Who did you find when you were looking through some of this um, that, that, that echoed some of this thought? Yeah, Steve Lawson has a two-volume set on church history, and basically he's kind of tracking and tracing key important doctrines um, throughout the centuries. In other words, things that we're talking about here on the podcast— this isn't new. Like nothing that we're presenting at all on any episode that That's we right. have isn't isn't new. We're, we right. are just regurgitating what has already been stated throughout the centuries. Well, in his book, um, I think it's a long line of godly men. Is is what the two volume one is called? Any, anyways, just look it up. Steve Lawson, two volumes. 
but he goes all the way back to the early church fathers, Tertullian in the third century. Here's what he says about Adam's sin affecting humanity. A man in the beginning was beguiled to transgress God's command and on that account was given over to death and brought it about that the whole race thus infected from Adam's seed mm. became a sharer in and transmitter of his condemnation. Gosh. Okay, so we're talking about the 200s, mm-hmm. right? So we're talking 1,800 years ago as Christian doctrine is being formulated, as the New Testament is being canonized, you have Christian leaders already coming to the conclusion with, uh, of this federal headship idea yes. that Adam sins, and it, it has now been transmitted to every single individual that has been born That's right. from there on out. That's right. And we talked about this, right, in our doctrine. Uh, we talked about the doctrine of sin. We talked about the doctrine of humanity, the depravity of man, the fallenness of man. You know, we, we talked about these things being connected. But the reason why sin has permeated through the human race is because of this idea of federal headship. And we talked about how we are born guilty, uh, John three thirty six. 36, mm. um, whoever um, believes in the Son of God has eternal life, but he who does not believe shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So it's this default position. We are born guilty. We are born just like Adam and Eve right after they sin and they run away from God. That's how we're born. We're born. We're not born in the state of neutrality. We're born with a guilt upon us. So we uh, we not only come to the world with a sin nature, but we come in with condemnation. We come in with guilt upon us. Um, and, and that is critical um, to understanding how um, this effect of original sin has has grabbed the human race. Yeah. Right? You what Burkhoff say? Here. Yeah, Burkhoff says this. Because he was the federal representative of the race, his disobedience affected all his descendants. In his righteous judgment, here it is, God imputes the guilt of the first sin committed by the head of the covenant to all those that are federally related to him. So here's what Burkhoff is saying. Adam sins, Adam faces guilt, and God places that guilt imputes it to or gives it to all of his descendants because Adam served as our representative in the covenant with him. And as a result, we're born depraved, sinful condition, inherent corruption, including guilt. Okay, Burkhoff, that's early 1900s, right? Yes. Okay, let's go back to the second century. Irenaeus. Second century. Second century. Okay. Just the beginning part of this quote from Irenaeus. Indeed, we had offended God in the first Adam. We Mm. offended Mm. God in the first Adam. When he did not perform his commandments, we were debtors to none other but to him whose commandment we had transgressed at the beginning. What's all this we stuff going on? (laughs) Right, yeah. I I read that earlier today, man. I'm like, dude, that is... Okay. I mean, he gets it. He does get it. Just a few decades after That's the right. apostles. That's right. So here's here's gonna be here's I'm gonna I'm gonna read our listeners' minds, those who have stuck with okay. us, okay? Lance, that sounds good. I'm glad Irenaeus said it. I'm glad Burkhoff said it. I know you like those guys. Romans five is decent. Yeah, that's fine. But listen, that's not 
fair. Right. That's not fair. I did not do that. I was not. Why in the world, how in the world can God hold me responsible for something I didn't do? I come into this world guilty because another guy couldn't keep his hands off of some stinking fruit that God told him not to eat. That's not fair. So how do, how do we answer that question? Genesis 18, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Mm. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Um, what, what else you got? Uh, Psalms? Well, uh, yeah, Psalm 115.3, one of my favorite verses. Um, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. God does what God does. So that would be our fir- my first response. God can do what God does. Yeah, we don't mean that in like a jerk way. No, you know, no. Yeah. But it's a it's a reverent way right. to say yeah, who's who here. That's better, yeah. God's God. You're right. It's not. This is not like God is some punk who says, I can do whatever I want. I don't yeah. answer to anybody. He answers to his own character. And God's character is perfect and blameless. And like you said in Genesis 18, um, does he not do right? Everything he does is right. He's the, he's the potter. That's right. Not, right. That's right. He is the potter. That's He's what, the one forming. He's that's right. the one creating. That's right. Um, Paul says the same thing in Romans 9, right? What is there any injustice on God's part? Meganoita, may it never be by no means. Absolutely not. There is n- God is not wrong in doing this. And why is it that we can say that it's not wrong or that God is righteous in doing this with Adam? If we reject Adam as our federal, as the opportunity to be the federal head. Who do we also reject? Well, if we go back to Romans five, if we reject the left column talking about Adam and his one sin, then we also need to reject the right column, which is talking about Christ and his one act of righteousness. That's right. They, they, they go they go hand in hand here. Was it or is it rather is it fair that Jesus Christ takes upon the mm-hmm. sins of those that believe in him and his righteousness can be imputed to me? Right. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Talk about unfair. Yeah. Um, you, you have to take both of these doctrines. You That's have right. to take all of Romans five twelve through 21. You have to take the federal headship of Adam. That way, that allows for the righteousness and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to the sinner that repents and believes. This doctrine matters because it plays into the person of Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. I, I would, I mean, I would just say that exact same thing one more time. Just that that's how God has chosen to um, place, He has chosen to place those who are in the covenant, in covenant with Him underneath of a federal head. So the, the question then becomes, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Mm. Um, that's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15 and in Romans chapter 5. He creates those two, like you mentioned, those two columns, those two categories. And he says those who are in Adam are represented by Adam's mm. sin. That's how the representation works. But those who are in Christ were represented by Christ. So when he looks at me, he does not see sin. He does not see corruption. He does not see um, moral decay. What he sees is the righteousness of Christ because Christ becomes my federal representative. He stands in my place. That's the gospel message. Um, Now, for those who are not in Christ, they are in Adam, and they... Um, would be represented by the one who is guilty, by the one who runs from God, by the one who has rebelled against God's command, by the one who is now facing guilt um, and uh, sinfulness and death, as is promised him in Genesis chapter 3. That's it's, Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? 
Now you're gonna steal my initiative here. It's critical. <laughs> Take 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 us away to the initiative. Sorry that initiative I did that. Here. Yeah, sorry. It, it, is there anything else we need to say to wrap up this doctrine before we before we uh, put a bow on it in the initiative? I don't know, I, man. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that that was such a good tie into the gospel here. I'm kind of at a loss of words. Well, well, here's here's Thanks one thing. <laughs> Glad to do it. Anytime I can do that, that's a bonus. <laughs> here's what one thing I would say. Um, and I had this conversation with several people who listened to the Divine Decrees episode. Um, many who said, you know what, that was that was great. It's the first time I'd heard some of that discussion about God's decrees, and I and I said I would listen to that thing two or three times. I would chew through yeah. and take. This is another one of those heavy doctrines where you might have to say, you know what, I need to listen to that again. I need to. I was driving in the car. I had to, you know, I stopped and went in and got gas and got groceries and I came back out and then I went to work and I chopped it up a few times. Maybe I need to sit down and listen to this with my Bible open mm. and take some notes and wrestle through it. And that might be the way um, that can initiate some of this conversation. I know for me, um, R.C. Sproul's book, Chosen by God, mm. has a chapter on the federal representation, uh, federal headship, original sin. And that was very formative for me to introduce me to this understanding. Um, It it exposed me to some of this thought and gave me something to wrestle with. And then you just got to get in the text. You got to do that. So that's a good word. So initiative time. What would you, have you had time to collect some thoughts? I've I've had time to check my polls. (laughs) Okay. No, this was, we said earlier, pause, read Genesis 3. Pause, read Romans 5. Pause and read 1 Corinthians 15, mm. okay? Because if you've been listening and following along at this episode, you'll see there's some tie-in to the Adam-Christ situation mm-hmm. in 1 Corinthians 15. Right. So for the initiative, I just want to read two verses here, and then, then I'll kick it over to TJ to close us out uh, with his. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 and 22. For since by man came death... By man, referring to Jesus Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, mm. even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Gosh. Okay. Look, we are all born in Adam. Mm-hmm. But the question you have to ask yourself is, are you in Christ? Right? If you repent from your sins and you turn to him, you will be in Christ and you're forgiven for all of those sins that you have committed since you were conceived. That's right. Right? Okay, and, that's all and, I got. and forgiven. Let me echo. <laughs> and forgiven for the um, imputed sin of Adam. Right? right? We talk yep. about that, that Adam has given us that corrupt nature. That is re- regenerated and born mm. again when you are in Christ. Mm. That's Man, that's a good word. Um, I would say this, my takeaway for this episode, why are we discussing original sin? Why are we potentially opening up something that's divisive or controversial or difficult or weighty? Well, because a biblical understanding of original sin and wrestling through these questions and asking these questions and trying to find um, an adequate answer to these questions is necessary in order for us to actually understand the same way that salvation is applied through Christ, mm. right? Like like we've mentioned the parallel between Adam and Christ, Adam and Christ. If I reject the understanding of imputation of guilt and imputation of sin nature and imputation from Adam's fallenness, then I now reject the imputation that comes from Christ. So I have to understand how is God operating in these covenants? How is God operating with his representatives? Because 
I don't want to be represented by anybody other than Christ. Right. Um, and I have to understand how is God viewing me as an individual? He's viewing me as either in Adam or in Christ. And so this doctrine is important because it points us to the gospel, as you so clearly articulated there from, from 1 Corinthians 15. And speaking of Christ, that's that's coming up. That's the next little mini-series that, that, that we're going to roll into. That should so, be. And yeah. that's, that's why, gosh, that's a great segue to kick us out. Like, cue the music right here. Uh that's a great that's a great segue to mention we're working through these doctrines we're we're working through um you know these different systematic components and we've gotten uh the bible and then theology proper and man and sin and we've talked about original sin that's pointing us we're going to the cross we're going to christ that's really good Uh, if you're not doing so already not sure how you could be this far in and not doing this but make sure you subscribe to our podcast on itunes make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel like us on facebook at reformed informants follow us on instagram and twitter at r underscore informants Um, and as always you can find access to all of our episodes links to all our social media platforms all available to you for free on our website at www.themajestiesmen.com slash reformed informants if you have any questions or suggestions for topics of discussion feel free to email us at reformedinformants at gmail.com.